Welcome back to Girl We Gotta Talk. I'm your host, Elena Jakes. Welcome back to another episode. I'm so glad to have you guys here. I'm so glad to be back myself. It's been a crazy couple weeks, so I apologize for like the up and down influx of like episodes, no episodes. Um, but we are back for the summer officially, and I have so many incredible episodes coming your way, including this one. I had on Sarah Armstrong, who is um, an architect in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, and I actually met Sarah like a month or so ago at an entrepreneur event, women entrepreneur event, and her and I got to talking. I felt like she just had like the best energy, and we really hit it off, and I was like, please come on my podcast and just share all this wisdom that we are talking about right now on my podcast for my listeners, and she was so receptive to it. Um, and we just had the best conversation on this episode, so I'm so excited for you guys to hear it, but a little bit more on Sarah. So she, um, went to school to be an architect. She, after school, um, joined a firm, was working there for a bit, and then she started her family. Um, and then she'll talk a lot about this, but basically she started her firm out of a crisis. So she has her own firm now called Studio 360. And she has worked on so many incredible projects, which she talks through, but she also talks a lot about the challenges that she's faced kind of through her experience these last, you know, few years Um, from when she started this career to now, how things kind of haven't really changed um, with being a woman in this kind of industry in this field. Um, She talks a lot about how she's faced some challenges just with her height. Like she's a tall woman. She's blonde. She's first of all, just a woman in this industry. So she talks a lot about um, her experiences, how she's dealt with um, obstacles like that. And it was just so interesting to hear her perspective on all of this. Like, I honestly could have just sat here for like three more hours listening to her, um, but I didn't want to to take her a whole night from her. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I really, really enjoyed like listening to her. I think She's such an incredible light, um, and she's just absolutely crushing it on the business aspect, too. So we kind of dove into, like, finance and business, um, as well as, like, balancing, you know, a a career like this with family, relationships, and your just your social life. Hope that you guys enjoy this podcast, Um, and I'm going to link all of Sarah's information, like her website um, and all of her, like, socials below in the show notes. So if you want to reach out to her just for um, her work but then also she was definitely receptive to just having like one-on-ones and like mentoring so reach out to her if you're interested Um, but yeah let's jump into today's episode hello welcome back to girl we gotta talk I'm here with Sarah Armstrong hello Sarah welcome hi thank you for having me I am so excited to have you on Um, Sarah and I met I guess last month um, and Mm -hmm. we really hit it off. I was just like, so in awe of Sarah and I wanted to get to know her more. And so we had a couple conversations about coming on the podcast and sharing her story. So I'm so excited that you're here. You're such an inspiration and you're absolutely crushing, um, life. And so I want to get into all of that, but before Uh we do, if you want to give just a quick intro on who you are, what you do, um, before we jump in, go for it. Sure. Can I, can I also jump in and just say that, uh, how impressed I was with you when I met you at the Napa thing and girl, you are slaying it yourself. Oh my gosh. (laughs) To hear your former boss, you know, praise you was just amazing. And I thought just the same. I'm like, I need to meet this young woman. She has got it going on. So kudos to you girl for doing so much so young. Thank you so much. That's so nice. Um, I know that was such a, we were at an event with just like a bunch of women entrepreneurs. And so it was like such a cool experience to meet, you know, all these different people in different fields. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was just very, it gave me a little fire, you know, it was like, so it should, I mean, that's a smart group of women in that room, you know, and in that organization. And so, you know, they say, you know, walk with the wise and you'll be wise. It kind of rubs off, but those women are rock stars. So it is cool to go to those events. I always come out of it jazzed. Yeah. It gives you a little, um, I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I forget what you asked me even I um, got off on the tangent to start. <laughs> Who are you? What do you do? What are you about? All oh, about? right, right, right. Okay. So, uh, yeah, my name is Sarah Armstrong and, um, I'm an architect and I have my own residential architecture firm. We specialize in custom homes 
in the DC, Maryland, Virginia region. I've been studying, you know, doing architecture for 25 years. I've lived in the DC area for all that time since I graduated from college. I went to Virginia Tech and, you know, worked for a number of firms. Absolutely love what I do, but started my own firm about um, nine years ago. It'll be, it'll be 10 years, the end of this year, which is hard to believe. That's so awesome. Oh my gosh. So you kind of got into it there. I want to kind of rewind, jump back to Mm -hmm. college years. Were, were you always interested in going into this field? Like when you went into school, was this Mm -hmm. something like that you dreamt of doing? Yes. Okay. I was one of those very rare people who had you know, a very strong vision that I, I wanted to be an architect. I mean, I think in middle school, I'd say. So before that, I wanted to do, believe it or not, like fashion design. And I was always drawing and into fashion and had my own line of jeans and my, you know, friends and I would get into it. But once I got, you know, end of middle school, high school, I had a, a drafting teacher who kind of let me run with some things, did a summer program at Notre Dame And then applied to a bunch of architecture universities because I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I went to school super focused, applying only to top-notch architecture schools. I was also an athlete, but I decided to kind of forego that just to be able to focus on architecture. Wow. See, and that's why I wanted to ask that question because sometimes it takes people, especially at that young age of like, really knowing what they want. And I know Mm -hmm. some people that go into school and like they're declared undecided Mm -hmm. and you're young, like not everybody has that passion, but when people do like yourself, it's like you are full throttle, like in it and you are ready and you're excited to like actually be studying something like that, like that you're so in love with. That's so cool. So what was that like experience? Like in school, were you was it like that reassurance of like, yep, yeah, this is like what well, I'm here for this reason. And I'm so happy that like I'm doing this or was it a tough major? Like what was like the college experience of that? Like, um, well, just because you know what you want to do doesn't, you know, mean you don't fill yourself with doubts, right. Constantly, you know, all through school, even though I loved what I was doing, I was always like, am I doing the right thing? Am, am I going to ever be good at this? You know, within the field of architecture, there's so many different avenues you can go. You can, you know, do commercial, you can do sky rise, you know, high rises, you can do little projects. It was just all this still unknown, but the school itself, the program I was in was super rigorous. So, you know, we lived ate, breathed, studio was what we called it. And so it was definitely a unique college experience. I still got to do some fun stuff and, you know, still went to football games and, you know, had friends and had a social life and all that kind of thing. But I was super driven and, and everything kind of took a backseat to my studies and to what I wanted to do. And I was like that in high school too. You know, I was just always driven as an athlete or whatever. And I still am now, even as a mom, but, um, But studying, you know, our schedules, you know, we would pull all-nighters all the time. We were always in studio. We had a very tight group of kind of our clan that I hung out with and we traveled abroad. I did a semester in Europe, which was super fun. Um, And I made it a priority that every summer between school, you know, on summer break from from college, I was going to work for an architecture firm. So I was very intentional about summer jobs and internships and kind of leading up towards the job I wanted to get. Yeah. I mean, you had it going, like you had a plan and you were after it. I, you're kind of reminding me of kind of how my experience was too. I was in like the journalism kind Mm -hmm. of sphere of that. So everybody was super competitive with each other, but we all were super close. Yeah. One of us like let each other kind of like slack off in that sense. And then like you kind of said, other things sometimes did take a back seat. Cause I was like, no, I need to like, I'm going. And then same thing, like with the summer internships, I was like, I mean, in January, I was thinking about my summer, where I'm going to go, what I'm mm-hmm. going to do with it. So it's so crazy too. When you're so like in love or so passionate with something like that, like that is all your mind is on. Like you're not thinking about anything else. And, um, yeah, that's awesome. I love that you know, in the work world now, I'm sure for you, you know, and what you're doing and and for anyone in there, you want to be around people who, who are passionate and it's contagious, right. And they're pushing themselves to a level of excellence. And then you want to be around that too, because it just pushes you to be even better. And so, you know, I think there's a healthy 
way to do competition as professionals. And, and I will say even as women, and, and let me clarify that, because I think women can get the wrong idea about competition where it's kind of like, let me put you down so I can look better. And that's absolutely not what I mean at all. And, and I think women do a, a really good job of this actually of kind of at a girling, at a girling, you know, you, you're, you're doing so great to help me out. And then other women are willing to help them. And so you just kind of help each other get either an energy or um, a library of knowledge or experience. And I think it just helps the community, you know, to excel by far. Definitely. I love what you said about like, it's not necessarily competition in a bad way. It's like, everyone's kind of motivating each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I really like that. Cause that's how I felt too. I was like, we are all very, very interested and driven in the same thing. Like, why not just use that as like fuel for each other instead of like, I'm going to do better than you and be more successful. Like it doesn't have to be like that. Right. Especially with women. I think it is tough because sometimes we are almost pitted against each other. Not even Mm -hmm. like we try to, but it's like, well, look what she's doing. What are you going to do about that? It's like, why does it have to be that way? Why can't we just support and kind of do things like, you know, together? I agree. Yeah. And I think it just, it comes from a place of security. I think when you're, when you are coming from a place of security and you love what you do and you know, you're either good at it or just trying to get good at it, you know, you, you're okay when other people succeed. And I think even, you know, I say your generation, not, you know, to to sound like hoity-toity or anything, but I think younger people because of social media have done a better job of being complimentary and, and, and seeking other people's benefit. Whereas, you know, when I was in my twenties, it was a little bit more cutthroat that way. And I think that's, there's a, one of the good things about social media is it's helped. I think people have an avenue to give more compliments. Yeah. That's interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. So when you left college, did you have that sort of like experience when you were getting your job of like, people are going to be putting me down because I'm a woman going into this industry? Or was it like, did you feel supported when you left school kind of going into that? That's a great question. I wouldn't say I felt supported, but I didn't feel, um, put down either. I think I just came out naive. I really didn't know what to expect. And I didn't come into it with any preconceived notions. I just kind of went after my first job out of school as probably overconfident, probably thinking I knew more than I did and thinking I'm just going to come into this firm and I'm just going to be a rock star and, and, you know, what's wrong with that. And, and really was not prepared for the difficulties of being a woman in the profession of architecture, clueless, because in school, it was kind of 50, 50, you know, there, it was kind of equal men and women. My school had a lot of um, economic diversity, racial diversity, religious diversity. So to come into this firm, uh, my first firm, I was the, I was the only young woman. There was one woman at the firm out of 25 who was older than me. Um, yeah, I was the only young woman and I was totally unprepared, totally unprepared. <laughs> did that make you, cause that's intimidating. I think, did that mm-hmm. make you sort of doubt, like, am I right for this field? Like if there's, if I'm like one of a few, like, is this where I should be? Or was it more, I don't know, like, was that more like, okay, challenging, like, let me prove yeah. myself. Like, yes. what was that kind of attitude that you had? It was to prove yourself. The latter. Yeah, definitely. And, and maybe that was part of my upbringing too. Um, you know, the culture of, of my family personally and the support I had from my parents, the fact that I did love what I, what I did, but I think some of those early lessons learned for me was that, um, I did have to work harder to get the same amount of kind of recognition or promotion or things like that. Nothing was handed to me. If anything, I had to work twice as hard to get assigned to a good project, to get paid what my coworkers were getting paid, um, to be given construction projects. So when you graduate from architecture school, it's kind of like a pre-law degree or something where you have to intern for three or four years, get credits in certain areas, and then you study for like a big bar exam, which takes, you know, nine days over a six-month period. It's really intense. So, but in order to even sit for your bar, you have to get experience in these different categories. Well, I could get lots of experience in like client management, 
or programming, but you need a whole slew of experience in construction and in construction administration. And I had to beg, scrape, and plead to get time in those categories just so I could sit for my exam. Um, and I'm sure a lot of that was being a woman and being tall and being blonde and them not wanting to put me on a job site, honestly. <laughs> so, wow. oh yeah, 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 yeah. So I would go to a job site. I mean, I, I have so many, you know, and, and people would automatically assume like I was the receptionist, like, yeah. well, when's the architect coming? Like we're, 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 you know, we'd all be sitting around for 15 minutes and they're like, Gosh, Tony, when's the architect's always late? And I'm like, hello, Hi. I've been here for 15 minutes. <laughs> they're like, here they are. Aren't you the assistant? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm here for the firm, you know, and that kind of stuff, which oh just took gosh. forever to, um, to overcome, but I didn't let it bother me. I think you just roll with it. You la- I, I took the impression. I just would kind of joke and, and kind of laugh it off. Um, I give people a couple chances, you know, once I was working with someone long enough, or it was a couple months or a project or a year or at a firm, that's different. Like on a first meeting, I can give a lot of grace. After I've worked with you for a while, there's like a level of professional respect that I'm going to require. But for the most part, I didn't let it get to me. You just got to kind of roll with it. Were there any like specific situations where it trickled on and it was past that kind of first meeting where they were making jokes of like appearance or that you're a woman? Like, how do you handle that in the moment? Because I need to learn. And I think I'll, you know, learn as I go, but like, mm-hmm. I don't know how to handle it in the moment. I'm just very much like I laugh and then I'm just like, uh-huh. but then mm-hmm. I'm angry on the inside. I don't know how to like redirect or stand up for myself in that moment. Like, what are the things that you did to be like, listen, dude, like I am successful and I know what I'm doing. That's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your, like, what have you done in the past? Well, I'll say this first as a caveat, it's hard. Right. So I've been doing this for 25 years and I still have this happen and walk away from an incident and have a little chat with myself. Like Sarah, you know, that kind of could have, would I wish I had said X, Y, Z. We all do that. We're all always going to do that. So, but I, but what I've learned to do is instead of getting mad at myself, like, oh, you shouldn't have let that comment go. Or um, maybe sometimes I came on too strong and afterwards on reflection, I'm like, Ooh, I kind of overboarded that one. I could have been a little bit more kind. Um, you know, you have to remind yourself that you're going to have plenty of chances yeah. to do this again, unfortunately. <laughs> so like, there's going to be another one. There's so. going to be another time that you're going to have a chance to practice that skill again. And sometimes in the same week. So oh. Not that you want to focus on these things, but if, you, if people keep it, like I used to keep a journal, sometimes I'd keep like a Google doc or a lessons learned on a, on a project page or something. And I would, I would literally write down situations that I was in and what I wish I'd done different. Cause you forget, you totally forget. And, and then I would look for opportunity if I was in a similar situation, never the same exact thing to try to do it better. And I think it just has to come with practice and with experience. So when I was younger, because I didn't have the experience, I couldn't come speak from a place of confidence or authority because I didn't have any. And I think the worst thing sometimes people do when they're young is come on too precocious and, and act like they're all that. And they know everything when they don't. Yeah. And the reality is, is in professional settings, the way you get respect is by knowing your job and being good at your job. So the better you can get at your job, the more confident you can be at your job, the better you can just, it's almost like, I think it's really like the way we hold ourselves sometimes, the way we talk, the way we kind of use body language to demand a certain level of respect is important. And it doesn't just, you can't just fake that, you know, (laughs) you can't, it has to just come. But, um, But to answer your question more specifically, I would say, you know, I think that you can always go back to someone and say something as quick as possible. So even if you miss something right in the moment, if in the same conversation or before that meeting is over or at the end of that meeting, you can approach a person or you can address a situation publicly, that's the first thing is the faster, the sooner you can address it, I think the better. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, and that's letting something linger. You, you don't want it to like drag on and get those repeated 
you know, comments. And then they're like, well, you never said, you know, and then you're kind of beating yourself up saying like, you know, why did I didn't say anything sooner? Right. Um, but I do love your point of like almost letting your work speak for yourself too. And obviously that'll come with experience, but I mean, it's tough too, because especially in the professional world, you want to remain professional. You don't want to necessarily go off on someone just for a comment. You want to be able to like, you know, be professional, let your work for show for itself. But like, it's a weird, and especially being a woman, it's like, you want to be able to stand up for yourself, but then you don't want like the double standard. Well, she's crazy. I don't want to hire her again. And exactly. like, you don't want to run into something like that where one guy right. tells another guy like, Oh, Sarah Armstrong, you got to watch, you know, it's like, it's such a, it's so infuriating too. It is. It's a catch 22. And I would say for me, and everybody has to find their own thing they're comfortable with. And, sure. and kind of my, one of my mantras is just, it's always better to err on the side of kindness in my mind. So if I'm going to, you know, if here's the, the scale of like being super assertive and self-respecting to kind of a, a pushover, you know, on that scale, I'm, I'm going to err in the side of kindness. I want to kind of give people the benefit of the doubt. So I'm more likely to kind of let things go than maybe other people would be. And that's fine. Everybody has to kind of find their own thing. But, um, but I think when you're going to call somebody out, when you're going to really take a stand on something, that's when you have to go whole hog and you have to be willing to like die on that hill. Yeah. So I can give you like two quick examples if you want them. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because I know this is a hot topic, right? So, um, gosh, I have so many, I'm trying to think of, okay. So one early on was on construction sites, there's often a trailer, a job trailer, right? So if you picture like a big school that's under construction, you know, there's like a little trailer on the side where you have meetings, there's a printer, fax machine, the old days, you know, telephone kind of thing. And when we'd have job site meetings, we'd go to the trailer. So there was a situation where these guys had been giving me a hard time. I was young. I was probably 25 at the time. And I was kind of earning their respect. And one day I literally showed up to this trailer and they had, um, Oh yeah. There was a, there was a calendar on the wall that was like a pinup. It was like a a centerfold of a calendar right when you walked to the door. And so I made a comment when I came in, like, Hey, nice picture. Hope you can redecorate before I come back next time. Ha 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 ha. Right. So they didn't like that. So following week I show up at a meeting and literally the entire trailer is plastered in pornography. Right. And I'm like 25 years old. I walk into the trailer. I mean, I was, I was turned bright red. It caught me totally off guard. I was like, oh my gosh. And in hindsight, I wish I had just walked out. That's, that would have been the right thing to do. But when you're young and you're caught off guard, I mean, who expects that when you walk into this room, right? These are construction guys and they thought this was funny. So I walked in, had the meeting, did not react, did not respond, acted like absolutely nothing was wrong, left the meeting, went and meet, but I died on that hill. So I called the boss of the construction company, went to my boss, documented everything. And sure enough, somebody lost their job over that. And not that I was trying to get anybody to lose their job, but that was a situation where I was like, this is so black and white, completely inappropriate. I'm going to die on that hill. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one example. The other quick one I'll give is, um, just recent, cause this just happened recently where I was on a project. Some pe- people were joking around. One of the guys dared another guy to throw a snowball at, at my head. And wouldn't it be funny? Cause like I, my hair was done or I was like coming from the- like, yeah, it was like middle school. So like grown men acting like middle school people. Anyway, you know, I can joke around, I can have a good time but you're going to in front of a client who's standing right next to me and we're holding drawings and we're having a professional conversation. And I get a snowball like straight at my face and everybody's laughing and ha ha ha. And I'm like, mm, no, not cool. And I made it clear right in the moment, right then and there in front of the client, totally inappropriate. You've completely crossed the line. I do not appreciate that. That was totally disrespectful. And if you want to work with me, you better never do that again. And he was like a little doggy with his tail between his legs and ran off. Yeah, he <laughs> but, was. Yeah. So, you? you know, those are just two quick kind of opposite ends of the scale of, of the kind of stuff that 
when you decide in the moment you're going to call someone out, you have to have your big girl panties on. You got to be willing to go toe to toe, puff your chest, do whatever it takes to make your point or else wait. And you're going to have plenty of other chances to do it. Yeah. God, just wait. Cause it'll, I mean, look, those, that was a story from when you started to now, like it literally nothing's mm-hmm. changed. Um, like what is the day-to-day like, I guess. Oh yeah. The day-to-day. Well, in the, in the field of design, now I do a lot more kind of custom high-end stuff. I work with a lot of interiors people. There is more women getting into construction and project management, which is refreshing to see because women tend to rock at this stuff at being organized and, you know, keeping people on task and having a, you know, a schedule and just being able to problem solve and multitask, like they're good construction managers. So I'm seeing a lot more of that. But on the day-to-day, you know, for me, I have a small firm. I have a few um, employees who work for me. I intentionally keep things small. I want to function as a boutique firm primarily because I'm also a mom. I've got three kids and my primary office is in my home. And so I want to have a lifestyle. I kind of make my, designed my firm in a way to serve my family the way I want to do it. Um, But because of that, yeah, I mean, on a week to week basis, I'm meeting with clients in their homes. I'm building business by networking. I'm sitting at a computer drafting. I'm doing marketing. I'm setting up photo shoots. I'm going to job sites that are under construction. I'm fielding calls from contractors uh, starting at 7 a.m. It's a jack of all trades job, which I love. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's kind of what I want to get into too. So you have your own firm. Um, I want to know how all of that began. Um, What gave you the the kind of like kickstart into all of it? Um, So my firm's business um, starting story, the birth of my business came out of crisis. So this was not something that I planned that I had a marketing strategy for, that I had done a business plan for, that I knew what I was doing, the exact opposite of that, which is funny coming from someone like me, who's like such a crazy planner. But um, I had been working for a firm. I was married at the time. I had three kids who were aged five, eight, and 12, five, eight, and 11. We had just moved to Virginia from Maryland. And my, and I'm since divorced, but at the time my husband had lost his job and we had just bought this house. I wasn't working. He wasn't working. We had three kids and we kind of looked at each other like, now, what are we going to do? And so, um, I decided, well, let me see if I can do this, that we've always talked about, you know, me going out on my own and, and starting a business I don't have any contacts here. I don't know what else to do, but I, our family was not at a point then where I could go get a job in DC full-time as an architect. My kids still needed me. My oldest has special needs. And so I needed to be home. So we, I kind of whipped up this plan. I literally started just cold calling people. Um, I started my firm with a hundred dollars that I transferred from my personal bank account to a business bank account that I opened. And I just started calling people out of desperation to get work and ended up getting my first project from a contractor who happened to live up the street from me. And he said, oh, my architect just left. I need somebody to finish this set of plans. I'm like, I'll do it. And um, so the first year of that, I actually like was profitable, but barely. I mean, I think I made $500 my first year of business or something like that, working from my kitchen table, um, working from kindergarten parent classroom meetings, (laughs) anything I could, and just grew it gradually and and it started to take off. And so, yeah, it's just been been a scrape by thing. Um, But I will say over 10 years, you know, I have gradually grown, 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 grown incrementally, capped it at 30% growth each year. I've learned a lot about business. I've learned a lot about how to do things, but I didn't start that way. I started out of, out of a crisis. Yeah. That's such a crazy story. Um, and then to see that it's like grown to what it is now is even crazier and congratulations. Obviously I want to know, like, 
in that moment of crisis, were you sort of like panic mode or were you like, okay, I have to do this and like, it's going to be fine. I just need to like put my mind to it. Or were you kind of just like, what do we do? And like, how do you handle that? You know, sometimes you just skin of your teeth. You just do something and you put one foot in front of the other and it's one day at a time. And I honestly, I think I started officially, I think my, my LLC paperwork is from like a November. Uh, and I think I gave myself three months to like make money, which is crazy in hindsight. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, most businesses take like three years to be profitable. And, and if they even last three years and I kind of gave myself three months, which was just insane. But yeah, I, I had no idea what I was doing. And the thing about architecture is when, you, when you're in school, they teach you how to do architecture. They teach you how to build buildings and design. I had never taken a business class. I knew nothing about accounting. I knew nothing about contracts or insurance or any of these things. So um, I kind of started, once I kind of started getting a little bit of work, my goal was to build my Fab Five. That's what I called them. And my Fab Five was my accountant that I found, my attorney, um, an insurance person, because in architecture, it's really important. You have like a errors and omissions policy. I had a web developer. Um, gosh, who was my fifth person now? I know I called my fab five, but I have to think that through. But I kind of built this team of these five supporters that were going to kind of help me get started. But it wasn't like I had them all in place. I had a year to build this business. And then I launched. It was like scrappy, just piecing it together day to time. And then I'd get a new client and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have a contract for this. So I'd call my attorney. I needed a contract like tomorrow. And um, it, it just kind of evolved over time. But I, I took a hard deep dive into business school. I read every business book I could. I just absorbed myself in anything wow. I could learn about starting a business. Yeah. No, I mean, like you had no schooling in that and here you are starting a business. Like that's just incredible to me. And I mean, for me too, I'm still learning. Like what were like the biggest, I think, what were the biggest like game changers once you kind of like understood a little bit more about starting a business? Um, gosh, there were so many. Um, well, the big thing, like when we started our conversation, it was Nabo. That was, that was a big piece for me. There's a national organization of women business owners I got plugged into and and um, as I mentioned at the event we were at together, I think the confidence for me in running a business was, was a big thing I was lacking at first. I kind of, because I came into it in crisis, because I'd never run a business before, because I hadn't seen a firm be run, even at the firms I was at, was kind of like, you just stay over here and work. And, and then there's Wizard of Oz behind the curtain and, and none of us ever knew, you know, what went on in the, yeah. in the back room. So I didn't have even any point of reference. So I think because I was just so eager to learn and so curious, I just asked everybody I could. Um, oh, and that was my fifth person was another architect that I found. That's right. And, and I would meet with him for lunch and he was just so helpful and just took me under his wing and, and gave me a lot of really great advice on specifically how to start a firm. That's awesome. And, and just I just picking his brain, figured it out. Yeah. Learning all of that stuff from him. That's amazing. That with like kind of learning the business side of things with the finance side of things and be able, being able to like provide for your family. Cause that's what this is kind of like all stemmed from was like, you are now in charge of your three kids, your family, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. what was that kind of learning curve? Like, like learning how to deal with the finances, being able to profit, um, and what were the biggest kind of takeaways from what you learned? Well, it definitely is a lot of pressure and I, and I still feel it today because I'm still the sole breadwinner for my kids. And so, especially now being a single parent, you know, I'm, I've kind of got this now. So now I'm trying to run a business and parent full-time with three teenagers, which is crazy. <laughs> but I think, you know, you have to kind of find your personality and and what works for you. So for me, because I was starting a business out of crisis, because so much of my business provides the stability and financial security for my family, the biggest thing for me is having a good system to track my my business finances. I mean, my personal too, but it became super critical for me to find a software program that I could do my client management, my contracts, my billing in such a way so that at any point in time, I can basically click a button if I want to. And I could tell you every project I have that's current, every project I've had that's past, 
what the profit margin was, how much we build, how much we have left to bill, what's outstanding, what the potential to bill is. Like I needed to have a really, really good system so that I could feel comfortable, you know, going on a vacation or buying a car or sending my kid to summer camp or whatever. I had to be able to forecast what my income was going to be in a pretty accurate way. And so that to me became super, super important in having a successful business. So what were some of the specific things that you did in order to forecast things like that, like on the business side, so that if someone's listening and they also are curious on how to do this and be able to be kind of on top of that, mm-hmm. what were some of those things that you um, found really helpful or really, you know, crucial? Hmm. Well, to make this translatable to other businesses, I would say, you know, I was disciplined. So, you know, every week, maybe at the most, I was, um, you know, running a report that would show me where we were at. Um, Because my firm is a professional service, which is different than some other businesses, right? If you're in sales or you're selling product, it's really different, a retail or something else. But in my business, you know, I'm billing time. So like an attorney or a doctor or something, I'm, I'm billing time. So I'm really um, disciplined about my timesheet. We bill to like 10 minute, you know, time periods. So um, all my staff, I had to train and how to track time. Um, I'm re- I was very disciplined about assigning to people what their expectations were about how much time they should be spending on things. And then I would track that. Um, I was kind of this like data geek about my own business. And, and as much, inf- I feel like information is power. So the more knowledge you have about your business finances and the state of your business is, is power. And a lot of people, I think, avoid that knowledge because sometimes it's not good knowledge. Like it's, it's discouraging right? If like your business is in the red, you kind of don't want to know. And then people just like play ostrich and they're like, oh, I'd rather not even push that button. I don't even want to (laughs) know. Right. But that does not help you. That is just ignorance. And that does not give you any power to be able to make the right decisions you need to make, not just to get out of the red, but to make good profit and to be able to have a really successful business. And one of the pieces pieces of advice I got early on was, look, if you're going to do architecture and you're going to take this seriously, which you could apply to any profession, you've got to make a profit. You're in this for a business. If you're not making money, it's not a business. It's a hobby. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I can't afford to have a hobby right now. (laughs) I need a business. And so I just got tooth and nails about, um, you know, studying in the industry what the billing rates were so I could bill appropriately against my peers because that was hard to learn. I did a lot of research post projects to ask clients, you know, about the billing. Hey, how I did the billing, what could I have done better? Mm. What would you have liked to have seen? Because one of the things I did see in other firms was I saw a lot of my bosses spending a lot of time trying to get paid, right? And they were always tracking down clients. Please pay this. Please pay that. Why haven't they paid? Or clients would call and complain about the bill. I don't think I should have to pay this much, blah, blah, blah. I am not good at asking for money. It's not easy for me. And so I thought, how can I set up the system so I don't have to ask anybody for money? Yeah, It's clear. My contract is clear how I bill is clear. Even my invoices, the way I do them are really detailed, which some people told me was dumb because it just gives people information to nitpick. I thought the opposite. I'm like, no, the more information I give clients, the less questions they're going to have. And then it's super clear how I build. I have never gotten, I, you know, knock on wood, but in nine years, I've never had a client not pay a bill. And, and that's amazing. And yeah. I pride myself on that. I, I haven't had anybody, you know, I've had people ask questions about bills. Can you explain this to me? Which I welcome. I'm happy to explain it to you because I operate everything 100% above board. I don't, you know, misbill clients. So it, I'm never in a place of feeling defensive. 
Mm-hmm. Because I know I was honest. I don't even have to think, ooh, was that, what job did I do? And was I, did I fudge the numbers on that one or not? No, I can be super confident because I know the numbers are clear. I know they're fair. And then I've never had a problem getting paid. Yeah, that's incredible. And that's a system that you've built. And I think that that's great. And now you're successful because of it. And you know what? I'm going to knock on wood too. So um, (laughs) there you go, girl. (laughs) I, (laughs) I wanted to ask you as well. And I, with being the sole provider with starting a business like this, and then the raising of your kids, like how Mm -hmm. it's so funny because so many of my guests, and I have this conversation almost every week, I think that there is no real work-life balance there. It doesn't exist. Um, but we put that in our head to be like, okay, well, if I do a little bit of this and a little bit of this on this side, then like everything will be okay. And to an extent, yeah. Um, but I want to know like your perspective on it. Like, how did you kind of deal with all of that? Like juggling kind of all of these different things at one time while trying Mm. to start a company like this? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I don't have the answer um, at all, but I can tell you kind of my, my current viewpoint, it was probably different 10 years ago and I'll probably be different 10 years from now. Um, I was actually listening the other day. I heard a clip of Shonda Rhimes from Shondaland, you know, was speaking at a commencement ceremony and, and she was talking on this very topic and it'd be worth finding that speech to like put in your show notes or something. And, and she was talking about how, you know, there, there isn't a balance and that for every time she wrote this amazing script, you know, she was missing a kid's ballet recital. And for every time she was volunteering in her kid's class, she was missing, you know, an award ceremony for her work. And so there's just always this give and take that that's life. Um, and I appreciated that point of view because I think to build up this perfect balance, you know, that catchphrase work-life balance just sets people up for failure. Yeah. I, I do. The way I kind of look at it is almost like, um, like life is the overarching scale, right? Like, have you ever seen that picture of the woman? She's like, you know, got the scale like two-sided and, you know, it's like a, supposed to be a symbol of wisdom or mm-hmm. some baloney like that. But anyway, <laughs> on mine, it's like life is the overarching, you know, thing. And I'm kind of like the woman in the middle, but I have like three arms. So I have like a work arm. And then I have a a kid arm, right? Like my, my family, my immediate kids. And then my third arm is like my relationships. So like my, my friends and my social life, right? Cause I'm an adult and I still like have to do fun things for me that my kids hate (laughs) and I can't do with work. Right. (laughs) So it's like, you know, I have these, these kind of three areas and and in that personal relationship side too, like that's what I consider part of like working out and taking care of myself and my nutrition and and just time that I try to stay healthy for my own health and well-being, so that I can do a great job at work. And so I can be a great mom to my kids. So if I can kind of keep those three things in check, one is always outweighing the other two at any given time. But I figure if I can keep all three up off the floor, <laughs> then you've made it. I, I'm good. We're good. We're I'm good. <laughs> and, and my kids get it. So there are times I'll say to my kids, like, listen, this week, kids, you know, I've got this big deadline. I've got X, Y, Z, you know, mom's going to be burning the midnight oil this week and they get it. Yeah. And then other times I tell my clients, like, sorry, you know, my kids got prom. I'm, I, I, I can't make this meeting or you know, my kid is sick or we're going to visit colleges or whatever it is. And I found that even just COVID has helped so much with that. Before COVID, I didn't like to tell clients that I had like a family obligation. Yeah. I felt a little bit like wasn't their business or I didn't want to get to even like unprofessional, like you felt weird kind of saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that's part of the woman thing too. Like I was so eager to prove, like I run this firm and, you know, I'm, I'm this, you know, all knowing business owner and I I have no other life, but you, my client serve and protect. Right. Like I don't even have a family. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just this autotron who's here to, you know, build your house or something. But, um, but that was a conscious decision too, as part of my brand 
for my business is mm. that attentive service, right? So I, I didn't, that wasn't a conscious decision for me to do that. Um, but since COVID and, and I'm having meetings with clients and now they're like granddaughters on their lap, their dog is barking in the background, right? They're sick, they're in their PJs. It's totally blown open this whole crossover of work and, and private life. And so for me as a single mom, it's been a good thing because I am much more comfortable now telling clients, you know, a tra- having a transparency of my personal life with my work life to clients. Before COVID, you're right. Like this was such a, I mean, this wasn't talked about. Like I remember my mom would like literally miss things that would happen in the early afternoon. If I had like, when I was a child and had an assembly, like she wouldn't be able to make it. And that wasn't something that she wanted to be able to tell her boss because her boss was like, okay, it's an assembly. But like, that was something as a kid that I was like, well, my mom's not here. And now mm-hmm. with my youngest sibling, like she's has so much more flexibility being at the house and working from home and being with my, you know, so it's, I'm, I'm grateful that that's kind of shifted because I think it's way more realistic and being able to juggle everything. Like having a business is great and important and crucial for, you know, providing, but also like you should be able to live your life and you have different aspects of your life, like your relationships, your children, like, you know, your health and like all of these different things. I'm glad that it's sort of finding like an equilibrium and we're all kind Mm -hmm. of just like on this understanding. Like I was on a call for work the other day and you could hear one of my coworkers daughters come up into her lap and you heard, Mm -hmm. hi, hi mom. Like, she was like, I'm, she's like, guys, I'm so sorry. Like, no, you are totally fine. Like, that's so cute. And I think admirable too. Cause it's like, she is literally at home raising kids and she's working and I'm getting my inbox is filled because of this lady. And so she's mm-hmm. obviously still successful and she's right. Get her stuff done. And, mm-hmm. and I just love that. It's kind of evolved into this because I think that it was unrealistic to be only that like robot that does work and pretending like we don't have lives behind right. jobs. I agree. So with that, do you have any advice for people that are looking to start their own business looking to start a firm or, um, just kind of go into this business world as a woman. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of, kind of hit all topics of like being able to prove yourself, finding balance, but anything that you really learned over these last few years of like how to really do this. Gosh. Yeah. I feel like I've learned so much. I mean, I almost feel like I'm a completely different person than I was when I started my business, honestly, yeah. because I really, I think I just started it too um, scared and maybe that was my circumstances, but I think if you have the luxury of really being thoughtful about starting the business, you should take it. Like, so I would never advise someone to start a business out of a crisis, right? Like that's just not smart. That doesn't mean it can't work or it can't be successful, but I think the more you, again, knowledge is power. So the more you can research your ideal client your ideal market, you can be, the more intentional you are about the work you want to do, the happier you will be, right? So you can kind of look at a business as, as do I, am I in this business to, to slay and make money, which there's nothing wrong with that? Or am I in this business for this joy, passion project? Because they may not align, right? And that's what you got to kind of figure out. For me, it was like, I want both. Right. And so how do I do both? How do I have this passion that I want to do and do architecture and do it well and still make good money and have this successful business? And so for me, a lot of the process was being super intentional, saying no to a lot of work, right? Which people don't really talk about, right? You just think someone wants to hire you and you should just say, yes. Oh, yes, yes. Hire me, hire me, you know? And, and it, one of the things I had to learn to do was to actually turn work down. Um, yeah. And, and be really selective about the projects I took and why. And so I, I remember I had like a little, um, a sheet that I used to use. I don't see one here, but, um, it had like five categories and I think I eventually turned into seven. So when I would get a call from a new potential client who wanted to hire us, 
was like, I was interviewing them too. And so I would rank this client on my chart in these seven or five or seven categories, you know, to determine whether or not I was going to take the job. And so I could, again, cause I was a data geek. I could tell you at the end of the year, how many calls <laughs> how many turns I took, how, how many jobs I turned down and why, why did I turn them down? And so when I had that information, then what I could do is, is change my target audience, right? Okay. I'm getting too many calls that are like this. I want this. So what do I need to adjust? Right. And, and unless you really chart that data and you know it, you, you can't make those adjustments. Yeah. But that's, really, um, that's a really interesting perspective too. Cause you're right. I think when people in with like a service like yours, it's like, you want to say, yeah, you're thinking, I mean, an outside perspective, it's like, you're thinking, yeah, she's going to say yes to everyone that calls her up because why wouldn't she? Right. But I, I love that kind of like moral of like, well, if they're not really a good fit for me, then like, I don't want to be able to like provide or work with them. Cause I know that that's not going to be beneficial to me. I think that's such an interesting perspective. Yeah. I mean, you can almost, it's funny. So like, you can kind of look at this as like dating in a way, really. I mean, just to break it down. I mean, you're going to like figure out who are the people that work for you and why, and you're going to go through this little like courting process. And, and if it works, it doesn't now in business, it's completely different, but it, it's a similar mindset in the way that you're like, you have to very quickly assess a client or a company or a business or a product and kind of go with your gut on something based on certain criteria that are like deal breakers for you. Is this even, you know, something that I'm going to invest my time in? Because when you're a business owner, time is your greatest um, asset and your highest equity. So how you spend your time, what projects you invest in are worth a very thoughtful process so that you're not just spinning your wheels because I found sometimes I'd take projects, I'd be so overworked. Then I'd get a call for a project that was like my ideal, pro- like I wanted this job so bad. And I either couldn't do it because I'd already overloaded myself with so many other things. I couldn't say yes to it or I'd say yes to it anyway. And then all these other projects would suffer or I would just suffer. Right. Cause I'd be like ah, doing too much. Yeah. Um, so I think when you say no and you can be really intentional about the work you want to do, you will be more successful. Um, but there takes a time and a place to do that. You know, I mean, the first year of my business, I didn't do that. I just said yes to everything. I was like, yeah. yes, the deck, I'll do it. How much will you pay me? <laughs> yeah. I need to eat. I need to eat. <laughs> pay me, pay me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you just have to be patient in that process. But once you're there, you have to know you're there. Right. And you have to be willing to turn down work or opportunity so that you're available for the good stuff when it really pops up. Definitely. Definitely. So, um, I wanted to ask you if you had any really standout clients or work that you've done or just like favorite experiences and, and things like that, that you could share. Um, just because I think it's so, first of all, your work is amazing. And I've seen, mm, thank you. um, I'm going to like link all of your stuff in the show notes, but I just wanted to talk through like some of the like really exciting things that you've done and favorite projects, stuff like that. Mm, okay. Um, well, let's see. I just finished a project that was kind of a favorite of mine because, um, it was kind of a legacy project, meaning I got hired initially by a family, did a house for husband and wife. Um, they had four kids who were all grown at the time. And, you know, it was one of these projects where, you know, so what I liked about it so much was the challenge of the project, helping this couple work together. They trusted me enough that the project grew tremendously over time. So we started with a really small scope. It grew to something big, which yes, was good for my business, but more importantly, it was really what needed to happen at this house. And and this couple really needed to do this, this work. I mean, this house is falling apart. I could tell it was affecting their relationship. Um, There was just a lot of history of them in this house. He wanted to stay. She wanted to move when people do a house, there's way more going on, right. Than like just the house you're like psychoanalyzing everything too. (laughs) Anyway. So I love this project because they trusted me. We built a relationship over time. We ended up totally redoing this house. It was beautiful. It's in Vienna. It's not far from Wolf Trap. Um, and we just became friends through the project. I mean, really close friends. 
And again, that's something that I've kind of gotten more comfortable with as I've gotten older. When I was younger, I, I maybe wasn't as comfortable with that, but um, we became good friends. Um, I was able to go to their house afterwards. I photographed it. They had parties there. They invite me for parties. My kids came over. Um, I'll tell a funny story. The day I brought my, my daughter there, we were walking through the house and she was saying, oh my gosh, this is a mansion. I can't believe people live like this. This is incredible. And uh, my clients were laughing. They thought it was so funny. Um, as if I raised my daughter in a hovel, you know, but, um, so then long story short, they are, they ended up buying the house next door for their adult daughter who had recently gotten married and had, had just had a baby. And so this couple wanted their granddaughter next door. So they kind of orchestrated this whole thing. And then I ended up renovating the house for their daughter next door. Oh my gosh. And so I just loved working. I got to know this whole family and I really feel like we gave them a really good value for the construction. Um, We gave them a really unique design, um, both for the daughter, which was different from the, the parents. And I think it just worked out awesome. So I, it's not just about the house. It's like this whole family kind of thing that they've worked out, which I love being a part of. Definitely. Definitely. No. And I think that's cool because this is something that, I mean, a house is like everything like that is like where people make memories. That's where people grow up. And like those kids grew up in that house and then now they're living next door. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, it's, there's so much more to what you do, um, than like what meets the eye. Like, it's just, there's more in that. And I think that's such an incredible, um, like special thing that you, and now you have like these friendships and I don't know, that's, that's an awesome story. I really love that. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it's been great when you, when you work with clients on a house, you're right. It's the most intimate, you know, part of our lives. And, and when I work with clients, I end up you know, really getting in their business, whether they like it or not. And and we start off gentle, but, you know, by the end, you know, I know their bathroom habits. I know their sex habits. I know when their eating habits, I know everything about them. And it's part of what helps us do a good job, you know, to give them a, a good house, but it does create this real bond, you know, for like a year of, of doing a project. And, um, and that's what I tell my clients up front when they first call us, you know, it's kind of one of my checklist things is like, look, we're going to be in this relationship We're we want to be in it with you from start to finish. So I don't want to just jump in in the beginning, throw you some ideas and then let you go fend for yourself. I also don't want to come in on the end of the job and rescue it. Right. I want to kind of be involved from start to finish. There's just such satisfaction in that. And, um, that's why I like residential too, because, the turnover is quick. You know, we can do a project in a year, build it in a year. So in a two-year process, you know, I've got a client and um, it's way better than, you know, these huge buildings that take, you know, 10 years or more to build. I'd I'd lose interest. (laughs) (laughs) I'm bored now. Yeah. Um, That is so awesome. So where can people contact you? I'm going to list everything in the show notes, but like, what is the best way for people to get into contact with you, if they're interested in your work, all of that kind of good stuff. Yeah. I would say if they're interested in the work, I mean, obviously you can go to our website. Um, name of my firm is studio 360. So we are studio 360 architect.com. There is a project inquiry firm form that you can fill out through the website. If you're interested in, in getting some more information about our process and, and then we go through a little intake and then set up a phone call for that. Um, if someone's interested in reaching out, I would say more just, you know, on the business side of things, or just as a woman who's, you know, looking to have a further conversation. Um, I do kind of make myself available to a lot of young women entrepreneurs in the area, um, meet for lunch, meet for coffee, that kind of thing, and try to offer my services as much as I can help because a lot of people did that for me starting off. And so I like to just kind of pay it forward that way too. Oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so glad that I met you. Um, and too, (laughs) this is so fun and I'm so glad that you're able to come on tonight and talk with me. I feel like this was, we really covered all aspects. Um, and so I really appreciate your time. Thank you again. And then if you want to reach out to Sarah, like she said, um, please do, if you want to just chat and like, 
have another episode like this and just like sit here like me and just learn, um, definitely do. So I'll link everything below. So definitely check her out, follow her on Instagram, see her incredible work. Um, and, oh, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for doing this. I think you're doing just a fantastic job. And I think it's great that you're doing these things to kind of help women, you know, even just your girl, we got to talk, you know, logo. I love it because these are conversations that are important. And I think women benefit from the example of others and we can always learn and be better and grow. So kudos to you, girl, you're doing a great job. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Oh, Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Girl We Gotta Talk on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. That way you never miss a new episode. You can also follow Girl We Gotta Talk on Instagram at Girl We Gotta Talk Podcast and on Twitter at GWGT Podcast for live tweeting and all your favorite pop culture updates. If you want to watch full episodes, check out Girl We Gotta Talk on YouTube and find all of your favorite episodes over there. If you like today's episode, head over to Apple Podcasts, hit the five stars or leave a review and let me know what you thought. I seriously love hearing your feedback. It really means the world to me. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Talk to you guys next week. Bye.